kids podcast. <laughs> you can go slow. A kids podcast about. One year ago, on January 6, 2021, thousands gathered outside of the White House for President Trump's Save America rally. At the same time, Congress was meeting in a joint session to confirm Joe Biden's win in the 2020 election. By 1 p.m., a mob breached the Capitol, citing the first time in our nation's history that the U.S. Capitol was invaded. The results of this insurrection and the impact on voter access to millions across our nation is worth noting. Welcome back to a new season of Worth Noting. Last year, we published 10 consecutive episodes beginning in August and ending at the start of October. This season, we'll be publishing episodes monthly with a new episode coming to your podcast feed on the first Saturday of each month. If you're new to the show, welcome. I hope this podcast will be a resource for you and your grown-ups, and that it'll help support or start conversations about what's going on in the world and how it impacts kids. If you're returning, welcome back. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. On November 3rd, 2020, Joe Biden was not yet officially declared the winner of the 59th quadrennial United States presidential election. Quadrennial means occurring every four years. In America, we hold a presidential election every four years, or quadrennially. President Donald Trump ran for re-election but lost to Joe Biden by over 7 million votes. Trump earned 74 million votes compared to Biden's 81 million votes. It was a close election, without question. But a number of states flipped, earning Biden 306 electoral votes compared to Trump's 232 electoral votes. We say a state flips when the majority of its votes, or more specifically, the majority of its electoral votes in a given election, go to the opposing party of whomever is currently in control of the government in that state. If the state's government officials are primarily from the Democratic Party, and the state historically votes for Democratic presidential nominees, it is predicted that voters in the state will elect officials from the Democratic Party. If, instead, a Republican presidential nominee wins in that state, we say that the state has, quote, flipped from Democrat to Republican. In the 2020 presidential election, five states flipped for the Democratic Party, meaning that five states who have historically voted for the Republican Party instead ended up having more votes for the Democratic Party. And while states flipping in an election isn't a new thing, many of these states, including Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, were a surprise for people following the election results. The surprise was so great for some, in fact, that many argued that Joe Biden didn't actually win at all. I will avoid going into the realm of conspiracy theories here and instead share that those who felt that Biden unfairly or inaccurately won the election pointed most often to issues in the election process itself. Some criticized how ballots were counted. Others criticized how ballots were collected. Some took issue with how mail-in ballots were distributed or recorded. Others argued that voter registration was to blame. And others still just could not separate their own beliefs from that of the results of the 2020 election, because the results simply did not match their expectations. 
Among those individuals was the then-president of the United States, Donald Trump. A tweet from Trump's Twitter account posted at 9.16 a.m. on November 5th, 2020, read in all caps, STOP THE COUNT! A tweet from Trump's Twitter account posted at 9.16 on November 15th, 2020, read in all caps, RIGGED ELECTION! WE WILL WIN! Another tweet posted at 8.51 a.m. on November 16th, 2020, read, I won the election. And yet another tweet from Trump's account at 10.24 a.m. on November 26th, read, Just saw the vote tabulations. There is no way Biden got 80 million votes. This was a 100% rigged election. A tweet from Trump's Twitter account posted at 10.56 a.m. on November 27th, 2020, read, quote, Biden can only enter the White House as president if he can prove that his ridiculous 80 million votes were not fraudulently or illegally obtained. When you see what happened in Detroit, Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee, massive voter fraud, he's got a big unsolvable problem. End quote. Twitter was a favorite tool of President Trump's. He tweeted over 23,000 times since taking office in 2017, and eventually, Twitter removed him from their platform following the events of the Capitol riot on January 6, 2020. He was a leader who knew that what he said to his supporters mattered, and that the people who supported him were listening. When he made claims of voter fraud in different parts of the country, states underwent ballot recounts and investigations to rule out any election errors— sometimes two or three separate times. No significant errors were ever identified, but that did not stop President Trump and his supporters from spreading misinformation about widespread voter fraud. When he told the nation that the election was, quote, rigged, and that supporters needed to, quote, stop the steal, and confirm that he was the rightful winner of the presidential election, Republican supporters took up the slogan and used it frequently to challenge the election results and the election system overall. And when he told onlookers that day, January 6, 2020, at the Save America rally, quote, I think one of our greatest achievements will be election security because nobody until I came along had any idea how corrupt our elections were. But I said something is wrong here, something is really wrong, can't have happened, and we fight. We fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. The onlookers cheered. And when he continued, quote, so we are going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue, and we are going to the Capitol, and we are going to try and give our Republicans the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. So let's walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. The onlookers followed by the thousands, and the U.S. Capitol was invaded. The nation was under attack, and many people, including those members of Congress who were meeting to confirm the election results— Many people in the Capitol called their loved ones, fearing it might be the last time they'd ever speak to them. And it wasn't until many hours later that Washington, D.C. was put under curfew and people were told that they had to leave the streets or be arrested and added to those arrested from the invasion of the Capitol. And it wasn't until after all of that that Congress reconvened to officially affirm the election results read by Vice President Mike Pence at 3.42 a.m. on January 7th, declaring Joe Biden as the president-elect. 
We are still feeling the aftershocks of that day. 19 states enacted voting restrictions in 2021. These restrictions set to limit how people can vote, as well as when or where they can vote. The word restrictions comes from restrict, which means to make more difficult. It is more difficult for people to vote when the location where voting takes place in their district is far away from their home. It is more difficult for people to vote when mail-in ballots are limited or done away with and you rely on mail-in voting because you are not able to leave your home or you are an American with a disability and you are not able to get to a voting location because you have limited mobility. It is more difficult for people to vote when they are forced to wait for hours in lines wrapping around the block outside of their voting location in the hot heat without access to shade or water. It is more difficult for black people to vote because of historic systems of oppression. It is more difficult for non-English-speaking people to vote because of the restricted spread of information. There were 25 states who enacted laws expanding voting access in some ways. These laws come from states who are seeking to raise participation in elections and who are working to provide everyone access to their right to vote as a U.S. citizen. But this divide between restrictions and expansions, it's most often in locations that you might easily predict. Those states that felt they unfairly lost the 2020 election seek to restrict voting rights in order to better control the outcomes of the election. It's difficult to imagine anyone would try to prevent citizens from carrying out their right to vote. But it's perhaps even more difficult to understand that these decisions are being led by politicians whose very job it is to serve us, the citizens who elected them, and to look out for us, the citizens who elected them. You do not vote yet. That's my guess. But you probably live with someone who does, or you're being taught in school or at home by someone who does. It won't be long before you can vote. But this isn't really about voting, is it? It's about access. And that's something that you can work for today and every day of your future. So here's your homework. Make a list of things you can access or use. You can include places you're able to visit as well as information you're able to access. Do you have access to food and clean water? To shelter and a place to sleep? Do you have access to an education? Are you able to get from one place to another, whether that's with a grown-up or on your own? Are there stores or shops near you? What about libraries and schools and post offices? Do you have access to the internet? Do you have a way to contact or communicate with other people, whether by text or voice or video? Everyone deserves to have access to the things that help them live their life, and also to the things that affect their life, like the laws and governing bodies that are appointed. Think about that access, and think about how things would be different if you lost access to some or all of the things you listed. What does it look like to help provide access to all, not just to some? I bet you're already buzzing with ideas. Ah, it's so good to be spending time with you again. Keep it up. I'm Matthew, and this is Worth Noting. Worth noting is written and produced by me, Matthew Winner. Audio production is by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Studios. Our executive producer is Jelani Memory, and this show was brought to you by a kid's podcast about 
If you've enjoyed the show, consider giving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, you're always invited to listen to other podcasts made for kids just like you by visiting akidsco.com. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.